When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's happening, everybody? We have a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Phillies coming off of a weekend series against the Dodgers. Lose two out of three, but they were able to salvage the final game on Sunday afternoon with a little bit of luck and a little bit of help from Max Muncy in the ninth inning. So they do escape. They avert a sweep, Anthony. And dating back to the start, we'll try to be positive here at the start today, dating back to the start of their West Coast swing, Against the Seattle Mariners 13 games ago. The Phillies are 7-6 and six overall, but I'm guessing that most people are waking up this morning feeling a little bit underwhelmed with what they watched at Citizens Bank Park this past week against both the Padres and the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously when you come off of a 5-2 and two road trip, um, which we said last week when we, when we uh, last spoke, that that seemed... Uh, you know, losing the last game of that road trip the way they did, it almost seemed like they went two and five instead of five and two. Um, You would have expected a better week at home. There's no doubt. And uh, look, the Padres and Dodgers are two really good teams with two really good pitching staffs, but you can't struggle to score the way that the Phillies struggle to score. Caveat aside, Bryce Harper doesn't play five of those games. That changes a lot with the Phillies' offense. We get it. Um, but there's still enough concerns with other bats in that lineup uh, to, to make you sit there and say, yeah, this was not good. This was, they they needed, probably needed at least another win on this homestand to make you go, okay. Okay, you went 500 at home against these two teams. Okay, that's, you know, they're good. But yeah, I, I think everybody would have felt a little bit better with one more win, um, especially especially if it would have been – like a solid win and not one where you needed a team like the Dodgers to kind of hand it to you on a platter. Yeah, so I'm trying to unpack all of this. And listen, Saturday night they get out to the 4-1 lead. They have Aaron Nola on the mound. He's throwing the ball pretty well in the early innings, and then he runs into some trouble in the middle of the game. I guess it was the fifth inning, I believe, that Mookie Betts got him for the the two-run double. Uh, and that started the trouble, and then he was out of the game in the sixth after giving up a solo homer. And you're like, again, it's the same thing. Like, Nola's on the mound. you got to find a way to win these games. You had the advantage in the pitching matchup on Saturday night. And you're right. I think one more win somewhere in this homestand, just splitting three and three, you probably feel like, hey, listen, this is tough competition. It doesn't matter if you're on the road or at home. You're treading water. And that's what we talked about going back two, three weeks ago. This is a brutal stretch. They probably aren't going to make their move during this stretch. They just simply need to keep their heads above water. And they have more or less done that. I mean, if you step back and just kind of take a deep breath and say, okay, wait a minute. You know what? They've played the Dodgers seven times over the last nine, ten days, and they they won the season series. They beat them four to three. They were in every single game. It was a competitive set of seven games. 
in a way, you would almost have to say, wow, that's that's pretty good. I mean, you go back to 2014, the Phillies only have two series victories over the Dodgers since the, the 2014 season. So it's not something that you expect. The fact that they were able to kind of get the upper hand there, good, right? Like, if, mm-hmm. you, just, if you just evaluate it for what it is. But the way that things played out, it just felt like, man... You know, they had to win that game last Sunday. Like, even if they would have won the game last Sunday and then they went 2-4 and four this week, people would still be annoyed, but you'd say, oh, you know, like, a letdown spot that's going to happen. Bryce Harper was out of the lineup. So, after yesterday's game, Joe Girardi mentioned what you just talked about. The pitching that they have faced here over the last 10 days or so has been outstanding. San Diego throws the ball extremely well. The Dodgers are obviously loaded with pitching. So, you do take that into account, but... At the same time, you watch them get shut out a couple times in the middle of the week. They struggle to score runs pretty much throughout the, the course of the weekend. Yesterday, again, the bats were pretty silent other than Garrett Stubbs and, and then what happened in the ninth inning there. So it's like acknowledging that there's problems that exist, but also understanding that they're in an okay spot here as they wake up this morning. It could be a lot worse, even if you, you want it to be a little bit better. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting, Bob. It's, you know, I... I after Girardi said that, I decided to kind of kind of take a look at it. I see. Yeah, yeah, they've been facing tough pitching. Okay, he's right. But on the whole, let's let's just kind of look at the season, all right? Let's just kind of take a take a look at it. The the, the and, and you know I don't want to. We we got into the whole strength of schedule thing last year, right? And we and we and we fell victim to it because <laughs> it was like, hey, that second half of the year they were supposed to have. Such an easy go of it, and then they didn't. They struggled against all those bad teams, okay? so you, I think you, everyone has PTSD from the strength of schedule, but the Eagles last year, I think, probably yeah. put some stock back into that, right? Yeah, right, a little bit, a little bit, right? But, I mean, so I looked at it, and so far this year, the teams that the, the uh, Eagles, say, I'm going to say Eagles, the teams that the Phillies have played are 937 and 745 combined, if you go game by game. Nearly 200 games over 500. They have the hardest schedule so far for any team in the National League. There's a couple teams in the American League have had tougher schedules than the Phillies. But Phillies have had the toughest schedule of any team in the National League. And if you look going ahead, uh, according to a couple of websites, obviously just what, you know how they base it, the, the Phillies have the second easiest strength of schedule left in ba- all of baseball behind only the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, so, so there will be a balancing out of this. And we talked about this. This isn't like anything new. We talked about this last, couple, last time when we looked at that May schedule, or last couple times when we looked at this May schedule and how brutal it is. And the whole thing we said, Bob, is that if you get through May and you're 500, are you happy? And we, did, and we, and we almost had a right? laugh at the time and said, yeah, like, absolutely, sign me up. If they're 500 yeah. at the end of this month, that would be fantastic. Yeah. I think what makes this seem uh, a little bit more concerning is, and we've had many conversations about the Mets, and I don't really want to do that again today. Yeah. Obviously now Max Scherzer's out. They don't have the ground. They haven't had him all year. But they continue to win, and they continue to kind of just plow ahead. And, yes, I do think that that regression's coming. But as it stands right now, I mean, they're sitting pretty in the NL East. They're eight games ahead of the Phillies. They're going to have an opportunity this week at home to maybe extend that even further. And so it's a really weird time to be uh, an observer of this baseball team right now because, like you talked about, the strength of schedule has been horrible. It's been brutal. They've kind of held their own. 
they're going to have an opportunity to make a run against the lighter portion of the schedule coming up here in a couple weeks. They're going to get a ton of games against teams like the Nationals. They should be able to take advantage of it. And Oh, by the way, you know, we're very numbers-oriented on this show, but if you look at this team and all of its parts, I'll just throw this out to you right now. We talked about the Phillies having the, the best OPS in baseball, I think, this time last week. Well, now they're down to number eight. A bad week of offense, six games in a row, generally speaking, that'll do it to you. So they're at a 7.22 team OPS, but it's still top 10 in the game. Mm -hmm. Flip it over to the pitching, right? You take Fangraph's war. They're number six overall in baseball right now in total war from the pitching staff. That combines the starting pitching and a suspect bullpen. So when you talk about a team that has graded out pretty well, cumulatively, from an offensive standpoint... And has done some pretty good things throwing the baseball, especially early on in games with a good starting rotation. There's still a lot to like here. Like, I look at the record, I'm totally underwhelmed by it. I acknowledge that 2021 was underwhelming, 20 was underwhelming, 19, 18 was underwhelming, and then the five, six years prior to that, they didn't even really try to win. So you wake up this morning and you're like, it's the same old Phillies, it's the same old shit. But I do think that if you step back and just look at this for what it is over 41 games or whatever it's been, it's, it's kind of easy to, to say they're better than they've played. They're going to get hot. That streak is coming. But it's just hard because it's the Phillies. And they just don't really give you a lot of reason to, to believe that they're going to do it. Yeah, yeah and, that's, and that's the thing. I mean, we, we've gotten ourselves so conditioned to believe that what we're seeing is just the same old, same old. Yeah. I, I mean, that's really what it's come down to. And it's... You know, and I, and I think about who I watch the games with the most. And I watch and I sit here and it's, I hear the same thing over and over again from my sons and from my dad. And it's like, yeah, well, same thing, same thing. And I get, and I, and, and I try to be the voice of reason. I try to suggest, but, it, but they're right. I mean, I, I sound like a broken record sometimes. Like, you know, like, oh, you said this before, you said this before. And until they change, until they prove it, then we're all, then they're right. Then you're right, they're right. I mean, it's the, it, it's just the same feeling of mediocrity. Like, you'll get close, but you won't quite get over that hump, and it won't, and it's not going to change. And so until they find a way to get on the plus side of 500, and on the plus side of 500, and kind of stay there, and, and kind of grow it from there, it, I, it's hard for me to defend it. It's hard for me to sit there and say, yeah, yeah, but they should do this. Or yeah, but I mean they're you know they're three games under five hundred, Bob. They're plus eleven in run differential. That's another yeah, positive. I mean, that's another positive side, right? Like we talk about that all the time. Teams that are on the plus side of that run differential are usually your better teams. And right now they're I think they're like eighth or or whatever in baseball with that. And it doesn't feel like they are. It, it feels like they're sixteenth, eighteenth, something something in that range. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this last week, but again, even with their recent struggles, they're fifth overall in batting average, they're sixth overall in slugging percentage as a team, and the one place that they're hurting a little bit is on base percentage. You yeah. know, the Phillies have been a high on base percentage team in recent years, but now they're down to number 17th overall, 310 on base percentage. Quite frankly, they're just not walking as much as they have in recent seasons, and there are a couple a different problem. ways... There's a couple different ways that you can parse through that. Like, right now, this morning, their walk rate 
as a team, 7.6%. That's 24th overall in baseball. So when we talk about them having a slightly below average on base percentage as a team collectively, that's actually driven by the fact that they've been very successful in putting balls in play and getting on base that way. I mean, their walk rate has been dismal, and that really showed up this week. I mean, they went through stretches where I believe coming into yesterday's game, they had walked like five times, or coming into Saturday night's game, they had walked five times in four games on this homestand. So... The thing that's interesting about it, though, and we've talked, and, and I think we might have talked about this on our last episode, is that sometimes you want to be a little bit more aggressive. You'd almost be willing to forego the walk rate if it means doing damage, being more aggressive early in counts, and, and really being able to generate runs that way. But they haven't been able to consistently do it. So you say, okay, I want you to be aggressive and I want you to hunt early in the count, but I also need you to be a little bit better at working counts and finding alternative ways to reach base. The team has really struggled to do that so far this season. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, it was, I think Girardi talked about it before the game, either yesterday or before the game Saturday. I forget which, which day it was. Um, about how, how bad they are at swinging at pitches out of the zone. Swings and misses on pitches out of the zone. Yeah. I think that they're worse in the National League and like 28th in baseball or something like that. And it's it's a, it, it, that's something that is... I can actually uh, just verify that. I can bring that up for you. Um, I mean, yeah, so looking at this, they're actually, uh, as, of, as of this morning, they're outside the swing or they're outside the zone swing percentage is 34%, which is actually eighth, uh, the eighth worst or eighth highest, I guess I should okay. say. Um, in baseball. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, and that was the thing that he expressed concern with. And I, so I think it's, it's, it's those kinds of pitches, which is where, if you really want to get into the fine line of what you're saying, be more aggressive, but be more patient at the same time. How do you, just you want do to have it both ways? Right. Really. <laughs> I, 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 like how, how do you do that? And it's, it's simply, if you've got to identify, um, you know, pitch selection, it's really where it comes down to it. Yes. Be more aggressive on pitches in the zone, but cut down on, on swings and misses at pitches that are not in the zone. Uh, and I think that that might get your uh, on-base percentage up a little bit. You'll walk a little bit more. And maybe that helps. And maybe that's, maybe that's where the difference is, Bob. Um, another, another thought is, is that, you know, you look at all this, you know, the offense is good, the pitching is good. Um, a lot of times those pit, you know, pitching is pitching more and pitching, uh, you know, obviously their ERA. The pitching more, a lot of it's based on, fielding independent pitching, right? A lot of times war is, is based on FIP, right? Okay. And then you look at ERA, ERA is only looking at earned runs. Not to say the Phillies are making a lot of errors defensively, because they're not. I mean, they're, they're, the number of errors is actually lower than I thought it would be, but maybe they're not as good defensively. I mean, they're still not good defensively, and that's also part of the problem. It's so I think if you, when you break the two down, you look at the offensive problem is not getting on base enough. The defensive problem is just not not having being able to cover enough of, of enough ground and, and that's where the and the, that and somewhere in there is the reason why the two aren't meshing for more wins yeah and one of the things that we're also seeing if you dive deeper into like the the stat cast numbers and the the baseball savant numbers Phillies pitchers especially starting pitchers are allowing some of the softest contact in all of baseball, which has probably actually helped out this defense a little bit. Yeah. I mean, they've done a really nice job in terms of exiting hard hit percentage, or I'm sorry, exit velocity, uh, limiting hard hit percentage. They've been really good there. Phillies hitters, conversely, have actually hit the ball pretty hard pretty frequently. And then the, the overall takeaway here is that the production isn't actually quite matching the way that they're actually hitting the baseball, which I don't want to go too far down that road because – 
while I look at those numbers and I do find that they're interesting if you can provide context to them, at the end of the day, I, I kind of am, am more results-oriented. I'm more, all right, how many runs per game are you scoring? How you know consistent is your offense? And so... While I like to look at the, those you know, those metrics, look to look at that that data. I think the bottom line is that this is still an offense that roughly a quarter of the time is scoring two runs or fewer, and, and you know that's just that's really at the heart of what the what the problem is that ails the Phillies here. So, like you said, you wake up this morning, you're sitting three games under 500. You're starting to see a, a pretty sizable gap here in the division. Certainly the wild card's a, a different story. And I think that you and I both uh, sitting here in March talked about really the Phillies' path to the postseason probably going through uh, the expanded playoffs with the with the additional wild card. I mean, I think that that's really what we're looking at. And so I think if nothing else, the schedule being what it's been, they haven't taken themselves out of that conversation or they haven't fallen so far off the pace there that you have to slam the panic button in, in that regard. Now, th that being said, we're talking about team-wide statistics, team-wide output. You start to dig a little bit deeper into some of the offensive numbers, some of the performances of individual players, and I'd be lying to you if I told you that I wasn't a little bit concerned at this point with certain players. And a little we did bit. not, you know, for the for the listeners here, we did not talk about what we were going to go through before. We didn't have a production meeting. So we're kind of just rolling with this. And at the top of the list, and I've been patient in bringing him up. In fact, I don't know that we've really talked about this player at all on this show this season. But I do think this morning it's probably time that we bring JT Real Muto into the conversation and yeah. there's, there's quite a few things happening here and you know you look at the season statistics he's hitting 224 he has a 614 OPS he's on base percentages under 300 he's slugging 321 I mean these are just simply numbers that you would not expect from him and the numbers I think are, are even actually driven down by what we've seen more recently I mean in the month of May in 16 games JT Romuto is hitting 169 I mean, he's been, he's been dreadful. So I guess the question is, what are you seeing out of him? And, you know, a quarter of the way into the season, are you concerned by what you're seeing from him? I, I'm not seeing anything out of him, Bob. I see a guy that is tinkering a lot with his swing, uh, can't really find what's going on. Um, he's very frustrated. Um, look, I mean, you know, for a guy who has always been – Here's where you, here's where you know that that the, the game's getting to him. I think a little bit mentally is you know for a guy who has always always been considered an excellent base runner for a catcher to have the kind of boneheaded mistake he had that almost cost him the game yesterday in the tenth inning. It's like even that. It's like man, that is so not real Muto. Like, right. I mean, that's a that's an O'Double play, right? <laughs> and so to, to hit the reset button on that sequence, you know, here are the Phillies in extra innings. Real Muto leaves a couple runners on in the ninth with the chance to win the game. Doesn't yep. get it done. He starts the uh, the extra inning as the ghost runner out at second base. Garrett Stubbs hits a ground ball to shortstop. He beats it out. Real Muto, good base running play, advances to third. A good base running play, at least initially, advances to third, slides in safely, and then he gets deked out, makes a move towards home. 
and then it's tug out going back into the third base bag for the first out of the inning and what looked to be a, a killer, a, a, a play, a boneheaded play that was going to lose them the game or certainly appeared that it was going to lose them the game. And interestingly enough, I saw some people try to put it on third base coach Dusty Woth. And if you go back and actually look at the replay of that, he's yeah. all over it. I mean, he's pointing right away like back, back, back. It's not like, I mean, he was right on top of it. So that mistake solely falls at the feet of JT Realmuto. And to your point, I agree. It's a play made by a guy trying to do too much, trying to overcompensate for his struggles elsewhere. I mean, that is absolutely what we saw in the 10th inning of yesterday's game. And fortunately for him and the rest of the Phillies, he was bailed out by Roman Quinn, Garrett Stubbs of all people. You know, so it's, um, it's, it's interesting. And so we talk about advanced metrics and data and looking at StatCast numbers. Okay, so like if you pull up JT Realmuto's numbers right now and I tell you that he's hitting well under 200 this month, the on-base percentage is terrible, he's not driving the baseball. Where I really get concerned, I talked about contextualizing these numbers. If you go into his deeper numbers, okay, and you look at the way that he has hit the baseball this year, you look at how he stacks up to what's happening across the league. I mean, it's been it's been bad. It's been concerning. And so, like, let me just give you a, a couple a couple quick numbers here in terms of average exit velocity. He's in the 13th percentile right now across baseball. 40 plus games into this season, barrel percentage. Just how often are you squaring up the baseball? 17th percent, uh, the 17th percentile. K rate, 31st percentile. Hard hit percentage, 26. Expected slugging, where you're actually looking at the result of what should be happening based on how he's hitting the baseball, 20th percentile. And oh, by the way, we talk about how he's this complete catcher. We've seen some some lapses in, in key spots. Sir Anthony Dominguez on Saturday night. Him and Real Muto had a couple different issues, led to some some problems in that game. His framing percentage, I mean, this stuff's graded out with, with advanced data, 40th percentile. I mean, he's been he's been bad. He's been average at best defensively, and he's been woeful offensively. Now, the only thing I will say in his defense is if you look at the numbers of catchers around the league, they're not great. And so in that way, he's not that far off the mark, but for a nine-figure player, a guy that is supposed to be a, a difference maker, he's not been that. Yeah, and I yeah, there there's no argument. I mean, he just is he's been a dis, major disappointment this season. And, and I think that part of the problem has been well, a pretty confident part of the problem has been the fact that they haven't been able to rest him, Bob. I, I, I think, you know, coming into the season, we knew that the whole plan, the DH plan was we're going to rotate this DH. We're going to get Schwarber and Castellanos most of the time DHing. But, you know, every once in a while we'll rest Bryce or, or rest Bryce or rest Hoskins and rest Real Muto, get him off his feet um, and be able to still keep his bat in the lineup and blah, 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 all this stuff. And, of course, Harper's injury has made it to the point where you have to keep Harper in the lineup, and the only way to keep him in is he's got to be pretty much a full-time DH. They've still not rested Real Muto. And that's, the, that's to me, the one thing. I think that, you know, when you're getting to hit get at the age that he's at and you play as many games as you do behind the plate, it's, a going to, it's just going to catch up to you eventually, right? I mean, it, I don't know how many, how many catchers 
in the history of baseball are playing, you know, getting over 500 at bats in their 30s and catching all that time. Not many. I mean, they're a handful. And, um, and, you know, and still being productive for that matter. So I, I think that that's part of it. I think that he's a guy that's going to need a little bit more time uh, on, on the bench. And that's not to say to put him on the bench because he's, just because he's struggling. I mean, of course, you could look at it from that perspective and say, hey, give JT a couple of days, let him kind of clear his head, whatever. That's fine. I'm cool with that from, from a perspective of trying to get him back on track. But if he does get back on track, I still can't fathom putting him in there and playing him as much as he's been playing. He played the entire Dodgers series um, last week in L.A. You know, I mean, you can't. It's four games in a row, um, you know, against a really good team, including a day game after a night game. You know, he's playing six out of seven. He needs a little bit of time off, and I think that that's the Phillies, because of the start they got off to, are so worried about resting him because it hurts the lineup, especially with obviously with Harper when he was out. They didn't want to take him out of the lineup. I, I think that it's a thing where Real Muto has a better chance of getting back to being the player that he was and the player you expect him to be if you let him play more of a normal catcher schedule and not, not count on him for so much. And finally, with the way that Stubbs has shown he can play when he fills in, not to say he needs to play more re- with more regularity, but it, it's almost like in years past, it's like, oh, you got to th- throw out Andrew Knapp out there. Well, that's right. a guaranteed out every time he comes up. This kid actually, he's a gamer, man. And, and there's a lot to like about the, the way he approaches it. So like, you almost feel like you can at least get something out of your backup catcher when Real Muto is down. And you, you feel a little bit more confident about it. I think it's something that Girardi really has to consider moving forward here, at least over the next couple of months. Well, it's an interesting day to have this conversation because obviously Garrett Stubbs was very good in yesterday's game. He homered, and then, like we said, he was in the middle of kind of everything there in the 10th inning, some good base running, did a nice job. Uh, Listen, he's played 10 games this season. He's had 29 plate appearances. He's hitting 400. His OPS is 1144. Uh, I would not expect him to maintain those numbers, but I do think, if nothing else, he's shown that he gives you a a viable chance as a, a backup catcher. And I do wonder if they may consider resting Real Muto a little bit more frequently here as we move into this, we'll say, second quarter of the season to try to let him get some footing. Uh, whether it's fatigue, whether it's overusage, whether it's him pressing, or whether he's just lost a step, uh, there's obviously a lot of things happening right now, none of which are good for this player. And I, I do kind of want to just give a little bit more context. Obviously, there's only a handful of catchers that qualify for uh, – batting titles and and uh, you know when you take a look at the the major offensive statistics but I just tried to run this a different way so of current catchers this season that have had at least 20 plate appearances and again Stubbs has 29 so that's kind of why I picked this out JT Realmuto is 14th overall right now in Ward 0.6 when you look at slugging percentage I mean you've got to go down to the second page I mean, like, I'm just scrolling through this. Here you go. JT Realmuto right now, amongst all catchers, with at least 20 plate appearances this season, is 37th in slugging percentage at 321. I, I mean, that's just not what you would expect. A guy like Yadier Molina at this point is ahead of him. <laughs> guys like Joey Bart, Alejandro Kirk, Elias uh, Diaz. Th- these are guys that you just would not expect it to be ahead of him in, in this regard. And so... 
Uh, it's it's not good. Uh, the Phillies certainly need him to be better. And I think one of my takeaways about this team in general is that they are paying a handful of guys very handsomely and they're not doing enough, whether that be JT Real Muto, whether it be Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos, and, you know, to a lesser extent, Reese Hoskins, who, again, has just been so up and down here. Um, they, they, they need more production from the guys that they're paying to be productive. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, we looked at – you look at this past week and you say, you know, where were, where were some of the struggles? You know, we, we've not – you know, said anything about Castellanos either. I mean, he was mired in a bit of a, a bit of a slump there. You know, obviously, kind of, kind of fell went under the radar a little bit because he had been off to such a good start and he was so productive. But he went through a stretch before yesterday's game of going like five for forty-one. Yeah. I mean, that was you know, again, there's a guy you're paying big money to be productive, and you go five for forty-one. That's not productive <laughs> at all. Yeah, I mean, now, he's hitting two twenty-five this month. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, yesterday he comes through obviously. Big double in the ninth inning, two out double, and then scores on the on the hit by Segura to tie the game and force extra innings. That's a clutch hit right there by Castellanos. He had two hits yesterday, so maybe you know he starts to turn it back around again. But he had, his batting average had had fallen down into the two fifties. I think he's back up to like two sixty two now or whatever it is. But um, but yeah, like so there's a guy that you expect to be about twenty points higher than what he is right now. Um, so he's another guy that you kind of throw into that mix. I agree, a little bit. and I think that part of the reason that he's not catching as much heat is because there's still a lack of familiarity with the player. He's still somewhat new. We yeah. haven't been through the fatigue of of Nick Castellanos like we have been with some of the other players that we're talking about here. I think that also you look at Kyle Schwarber and he's hitting just a hair over 200 this morning. All the strikeouts, inability to really kind of get on base. Obviously, the power numbers have been really good, and that's the reason the OPS is as good as it is. But I just think that there are so many other guys right now that you kind of look at and you, you kind of direct your your impatience at. And one thing that I find interesting, too, and I, I really don't want to have this conversation this morning, but I saw on Saturday night especially a lot of people were like, you know, the Phillies lost Saturday night's game because of Odubel Herrera. You know, he's got to go. He's everything that's wrong with the team. And, you know, I, I really don't want, to, I don't want to have this conversation. I think we've spent probably too much time talking about Odubel Herrera so far on the show. But again, it kind of goes back to a point that I made and I think that you kind of uh, piggybacked on uh, a week or two ago, which is, yeah, Odubel Herrera is a is not a smart baseball player, and we get usually one to three different, uh, you know, examples of that every week. Uh, but when you look at what certain guys on this team are being paid and, and what they're doing in terms of production, getting aggravated with a guy that's making less than $2 million this season and basically telling people that, he's the reason why they're not winning, I think, is kind of just – it's a convenient target. Well, I mean, this is Philadelphia, Bob, right? We have our our targets and blame them for the same thing every time, whether it's their fault or not. In every sport, there is somebody who the fans don't like, either on the field or off, whether it's a player or a coach or whoever, and they blame that particular person for absolutely everything that's wrong – even when it's even when they have nothing to do with it, that's just the nature of this city. So, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 I you know, does it annoy me sometimes? Sure, but it, I, I brush it off. I brush it off as just just ignorance, in all honesty. Um, so now, moving to the to the other side of things, and just talking about this pitching staff a little bit. Ranger Suarez obviously struggled a little bit this weekend on Friday night, and Aaron Nola had 
a vintage uh, Aaron Nola start where the the results weren't quite as good as, as the way that he performed, right? And we have not had that conversation about Aaron Nola in months, and it's kind of been refreshing. You know, he went through the rotation six, seven different times and looked really good, and the results were good. And so it was just kind of refreshing to not have to, to dissect every little thing of Aaron Nola's performance, but he did kind of run into some trouble on Saturday night. I don't know where you're at right now. I still am not concerned about Ranger Suarez. I think overall, from a more general, higher-level perspective, I think he's been pretty good. Obviously, he's not been as good this season as he was a year ago, but I still like the upside there. I still feel pretty comfortable on a start-to-start basis that he's going to turn in a good effort. Same thing with Aaron Nola. Mildly agitating effort the other night, but nothing where I would say, see, you know, this is what he is. I think it was one okay, mediocre start uh, that was on the heels of six or seven really good ones. Zach Wheeler certainly appears to be all the way back. And now Zach Eflin, who we talked about, said it was interesting that they were going to open up the homestand with Zach Eflin, given that he had basically a two-plus week layoff. He wasn't very good in his first start or his uh, last start before going on the COVID-related IL against the Mets on Sunday Night Baseball. And all he does this week is go 13 combined innings against the Padres and Dodgers, allow just nine hits, two walks, strikes out a total of 17, 12 of which came during yesterday's performance against the Dodgers. He was awesome two or on two separate occasions this past week, and if if he can give them that uh uh, this is where I kind of get a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more bullish on this team. I don't, I don't want to repeat the thesis here, but if you're going to get this type of starting pitching and you have this offense, which has still been fairly productive despite its inconsistencies, that's loaded with players that have a good track record, it's like you're just waiting. You're just waiting for it to happen. Yeah, yeah. You, you are, and that's... You know, maybe it never, maybe it never does, and we end up. This ends up being fool's gold, and we just, we just sit here and you know, and, and go back at the end of the season um, when we're having the post mortem and be like, you know, what the hell, man? We should have seen this coming. It wasn't as good as as as, as we thought it was going to be, and here's why: because it's something we're missing right now. Who knows? But you're right. I mean, you know, that's why I stay with it. That's why I stick with it. That's why I'm. I try to preach patience with the team. You know. These portions of seasons happen in in over the course of 162 games. It just so happens that the Phillies are having it right off the jump in April and May, um, and and you're just waiting for that run to happen. Like last year, their run happened in July, right? I mean, that was when their run it happened. Actually happened. It happened in, in August. It, the the calendar turned to August, and it was August 1st. And I only know this because I looked it up the other day. It was August 1st. They start the month with eight consecutive wins. Yeah. But the problem with that was that they followed it in their next nine games with seven losses. And so you couldn't even really appreciate that run for what it was. Right. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. So it happened It happened late in the year. We're waiting for it. it does, you know, I don't anticipate it happening this week. I mean, you got another seven tough games this yeah, week and I, I want to get into that in your I, division. I yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't anticipate it happening this week. But if they could just, if they again, if you tread water, if you play five hundred ball this week, we next week we we can, when we, we talk about this, we we shouldn't be disappointed. We should be okay. All right. They had a decent week against Atlanta and the Mets. 
Uh, would we have liked it to be better? Sure, but you know, you, you're hanging in there. You know, and then you got the Giants coming. After that, that's when you you want to see it happen. And if so, if three weeks from now, Bob, we're still sitting here and the team's still hanging right around 500, still treading water, playing mediocre baseball against mediocre teams, then I think that there's you know let's let's have the alarm bells. Let's let's yeah. start wait you know ringing the bells. But if, as long as they're playing these good teams and and just hanging in, I mean, like like I look at. I look at the the seven games against the Dodgers. Let's just look at those seven just real quick. They were in every game. They were. Every game they're in. And they went they go four and three. So A, going four and three is great. Okay, against a, against that team is a is a really good outcome. You could make an argument that they could have won six, I think. Well, I, I I hear you. I, I would make an argument that the way that they but, played in those games that they probably should have won five. I would say that yesterday's game, they didn't have any business winning. Okay. Saturday's game, they should have won. Well, and then Friday night, probably not. And then yeah. last Sunday, they probably should have. So my argument was going to be they could have won as many as six, but they also could have lost as many as six. Sure. Because they got lucky in a couple games early in the, in the, in the, in, in the, in the series out in L.A. So... So, but the point it, the point was is that you played the arguably the best team in the National League, okay, as about as well as you could play them for seven games, and and made like if that was a playoff series, I mean that would have been a hell of a playoff series. In all honesty, if you put those seven games together the way that they went, like that would have been something else. So, so I I I, th- I look at that and I think there's reason for optimism because of things like that. I mean, yes, are there frustrations when you get no hit by the Mets, or you get shut out by Mike Clevenger, who has not picked, pitched great, although he's, you know, you know, he does have a track record in the past. But I mean, do you, and you get shut down by him. Like, do you, you get frustrated by those games? Yes, of course you do. And there's too many yeah, of them. I'm actually, if we would have recorded this uh, in the middle of the week, I would have gone on a Mike Clevenger, Joe Girardi rant. <laughs> Can we here on out? Can we just do ourselves a favor? And I, I almost want to tell Joe this just from a, hey. Do yourself a favor, and after a bad offensive performance, can you please stop telling people, well, we've never seen them before. It gets possible to have never seen a pitcher and hit the pitcher. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, well, we need to see him at least three or four times before we really get a feel for him. Yeah. I don't want to hear that. No, you're right. I'm with you, and I think the way that I feel, if I can sum this up this morning, is that although the ebb and flow of the results feel a lot, like they have the last few seasons, and thus it feels like we're just watching the same old Phillies, the eye test when I watch this team and I I dig into these numbers the way that I do, it tells me that this team is better. It's a different team. Like last year when we would have these conversations, it would always end with me saying like, I don't think this team's very good. I don't think they're going to win, but hey, maybe they'll get hot and maybe they can add at the trade deadline and, and make it better. I feel like that that's sort of been my vibe pretty much all along since we've been doing this show. It's kind of like they're spending a lot of money. I want them to be good, but I just don't believe what I'm seeing here. I have no faith in it. Well, now I kind of look at this and go, the results haven't been there, but I feel like this team is better. I feel like a run is going to come, and I never feel like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I'm at this morning. I'm not telling you that you should go 
you know, clear your calendar for the first few weeks of October. I'm not telling you that you should bet a, a futures market on the Phillies to win the NL East right now, but I just feel like they are going to get hot, and they're going to at some point. Here you go, bold take of the day. At some point, I don't know if they finish the season here, they will be in playoff position, where if the season ends today, the Phillies will be one of the teams representing the National League. So they are going to make up that ground. I believe that. And I think you're correct. I, I, I'm i right there with you, Bob. I just, I you know, I believe in what we're seeing. Yeah, there's inconsistency. Yeah, there's people to be concerned about. But I think you can look at any team and, and find the same the same things. Like, you can look at any team and be concerned about certain aspects of that team, right? I mean, it just that's just the nature of baseball. It's, there's so much to look at, so much to digest, so much to break down. And then there's so many more games, right? So, so it just it's easy to do that stuff. So I think when, you're, when you really want to look at it and take that more of a thousand-foot view, look at it from far away, and what do you – just based on what you see and not – be so engrossed in it like we are game in game out yes this is a play this is still a playoff team in my mind is it still a playoff team and I, and I and i have a little bit of confidence in them this week i know you wanted to talk about this week's schedule yeah actually a perfect segue yeah kind of rolls right I, into where I, I wanted to go here yeah and, so and, I, and i think that there's you know we'll let you start it off but i, I, I the way that they played in seattle and la gives me more confidence finally about them on a, on the road against playing Atlanta and the Mets this week. So go ahead. All right, so the Phillies go to Atlanta for the start of a four-game series, all night games, by the way. These next seven games that the Phillies play, if you're a daytime baseball fan, you're going to be very disappointed because they also <laughs> they play the national game on Sunday night again. So um, I feel like that the Phillies this year are like the uh, NFL or MLB equivalent of the Baltimore Ravens. Like every time you turn on the e like ESPN or a primetime game, you're like, here's the Phillies again. You know, and the rest of the country is like, I don't really need to see this team. Uh, so, so here's the Phillies. Uh, they open up uh, with the Braves tonight, 721st pitch at Truist Park. And you have Zach Wheeler on the mound going against lefty. Tucker Davidson and listen I'm not going to pretend to know a ton about Tucker Davidson I know that you uh, tend to uh, be a little bit more plugged in with what's going on outside of Philadelphia I will tell you this uh, the Phillies need to at least split the series with the Braves uh, both teams come in at 19 and 22 I think both teams actually come into the series pretty much in the same spot which is we've sort of uh, screwed around for the first 40 games here we haven't done what we had hoped to do this is the week that we turn it around. This is the week where we have to find another gear. And so you're not catching one team ultra-motivated and another team that's kind of just going through the slog of the schedule. I think both of these teams are coming into this series going like, now's the time. Like, let's let's bleep and go, so to speak. And so you get Wheeler-Davidson tonight. And if the Phillies are going to split or at least split this series, it better win tonight with Zach Wheeler on the mound. Yeah, yeah. If I remember correctly, and look, uh, Tucker-Davidson... I know he's not like a big time prospect for them. I mean, he was a you know one of those later round draft picks who's just kind of made his way and kind of hung around in the minor leagues. I think he made he may have made his debut against the Phillies, or I remember one of his first major league starts was against the Phillies during the um, the COVID year, the sixty game season. Um, he's not been he's nothing special. He's not he's just not. And and you have Wheeler on the mound who is special. And so, yes, tonight is a game that you got to look at it and go, 
this is one. If you're going to win the week, if you're going to go four and three this week against these two teams, this is one of the four. There's no doubt about it. And if you if you lose this one, you've put yourself in, in a bad spot to start the week. So yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. This is a this is a, almost a must win tonight. He's a uh, 26-year-old who has uh, pitched very little. I mean, he pitched in one game against, I, perhaps it was the Phillies in 2020. Uh, he appeared in four games for the Braves last year, 20 innings pitched. And then so far this season, uh, he's appeared in two games, has a 5-8-70 RA. If you believe uh, Pipeline, he's their, their seventh best prospect overall. Uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, he's 26 years old. and. Yeah. He's got less than 10 games to his credit, so I, I don't know what kind of prospect that makes you. That almost makes you a Phillies prospect. <laughs> you know, 26 years old. Yeah, all right, exactly. So, you know, yes, I agree. I, I fully agree with you. They, they need to go out there and, and win game one of this series tonight. And then you'll have uh, Kyle Gibson, Max Fried in game two, Ranger Suarez, and Charlie Morton in game three. Suarez obviously been a little bit inconsistent, but as has Charlie Morton. You know, at some point you wonder, does age and – Father Time just catch up to Charlie Morton. Talking about a guy who is what right now? I think he's 38 years old. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, he's been okay. He hasn't been a disaster, but he's not been that that Charlie Morton that you kind of look at and say, uh-oh, you know, we're, we're in for it tonight. So, I believe that things will then wrap up. It'll be Aaron Nola, though the Phillies have not yet made that official. Uh, and he will he'll go in the finale. I don't know if the Braves have list, listed a starter yet. Uh, Kyle Wright, who's been pretty good for them. He's probably yeah. been their best pitcher so far this season. So a little bit of, a little bit of a stunner there too. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's it so good. certainly shapes up to be uh, quite an interesting series. And then that takes you to New York uh, again for three games against the Mets. And so I guess I, I think that this is kind of a a cop out, but. I, I would say if they come back Memorial Day, Citizens Bank Park off a four and three road trip here, you'd feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, we got, got it, the, the pitching matchups to be determined with the Mets, but we know that they're starting rotations in a mess right now. Well, one thing I do like, too, is that finally, like, you're going to get Wheeler two times on this road trip. Your Wheeler will see the Mets. Yes. You know, whereas it feels like every time you show up, and I know it won't happen this weekend, but every time you show up, oh, there's DeGrom, there's uh, there's uh, Scherzer. You know, you feel like the, the Phillies have faced Scherzer 27 times since the total last season. <laughs> well, they faced him three times already this year. Yeah, so it'll right? be nice to so... Wheeler kind of get the ball here against them, and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean um... – yeah, I do. I, I think that, you know, I, I think if it, if it lines up um, correctly, Wheeler will face um, Peterson uh, for, the, for the Mets on Saturday is what I think if the way if the rotation sticks as it's supposed to be. I think that that's, that's the matchup. Um, yeah, the only thing I will say, though, is we talk about the, the Phillies and the Braves being in a similar spot. They're both kind of underachievers, at least relative to expectations. The Phillies, you know, we say four and three this week, but if that's, oh, I don't know, a split against the Braves and two out of three in New York, or three out of four against the Braves and they lose two out of three in New York. I mean, the fact of the matter is both of these teams are eight games behind the Mets. And so is is anything short of a sweep up in New York really, I, I, mean, I know that's a huge ask for a team that doesn't play well on the road to begin with, but... 
some people are probably going to look at this and say, you don't see the Mets again for quite some time. Like, you better go right now. You have not played well against this team. Like, you've got to go up there and make the big statement. You've got to start cutting down cutting down the ground here a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, you, you know, you want to sweep the Mets, right? There's no doubt about it. I mean, you got to that that's got you got to look at this series this weekend as something that's that's huge and, and that's what another thing Bob makes me wonder the reason that the Phil, why haven't the Phillies announced a starter for that final game against the Braves do you do you almost feel like that they want to maybe give Nola the extra day and have him pitch against the Mets I don't know maybe maybe you say you know what we're gonna come after you with Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler in that series and and see what's what yeah I, mean, I would probably be. I would not be surprised, I suppose, at the same time. Like, are you really in a spot where you're going to punt against the Braves, the team that, by the way, won the World Series last year, which, by the way, got off to a slow start and then took a rocket ship into into October? Yeah. I don't know if that's the team that I would want to punt against. But, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could make an argument for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily, you're necessarily saying you're going to punt. More so is that... You know, maybe you maybe maybe you say we'll we'll go a bullpen game, or we'll we'll you know have a we'll recall that Bailey falter and have him give it another go, or kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I just think it's it's something that you might consider um, if you really look at that. If you really believe that that Met series is that important because right. of how far behind you are that, if, right now, or if you look at it and say, eh, there's still plenty of time, no problem. We'll we'll go with we'll 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 skip all of this time around against the Mets. Then then you look at it and say two out of three is a, is a, is good. And, you know, um, and that's kind of where I'm at. I'm looking at it as split with the Braves, win two out of three against the Mets, and you're okay. So let me and I'm ask, okay. I'm okay with that. Let me ask you this: the yeah. Phillies go on the road this week, and they go two and five on this on this trip. <laughs> so let's, what does that look like? That's uh, I don't know. Uh, Three out of four, you lose in Atlanta, and then you lose two out of three in New York. And so it's two more series losses, and you come back home on Memorial Day, and you're 21 and 27, and you're probably 10 plus games out uh, of the NL East. Do you make a managerial change at that point? Certainly not that day. You've got the Giants coming in with Kapler, they would never do it. That's why I asked. <laughs> they would never do it. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> that would be ne- something? Never do it, Bob. Monday morning, <laughs> the press release comes out. Gabe's talking about mustaches versus beards. <laughs> He's talking about how it's good to be back, breathing in the city air. You know, he, and he learned a lot here in Philadelphia. And Joe Girardi gets the, you know, the Twitter account Fransky in L.A. Uh, he, it's the the Wawa bag. You give him the Wawa bag. There was a poll this morning on that Twitter account. It was one of the options was like, do you give Joe Girardi the Wawa bag like Charlie Manuel uh, back in the day? So I don't know, but I will tell you this. I was getting ready to, and I wrote this in the little 500 word recap. I ended up putting up on the site this morning. I had 746 words well prepped in the ninth inning of yesterday's game about how, yes, we have arrived at the point where it's time to say goodbye to the manager. And they won the game, and so I felt that the timing, this is like a reader exclusive, this part of the the show. I said, well, this is obviously not the time for this, so we won't do it. But I will put it on ice, and I bet you I may need it again at some point. So 
I just wonder, for me, if they were to go out and just have a train wreck of a road trip here, you're basically, you're 48 games into the season at that point, I guess you are. Yeah, 48 games into the season. You've, you've played the bulk of your games against the Mets, the team that you're trailing. At what point, maybe from the optics standpoint, having Gabe Kapler in town isn't the day to do it, but is it time to conceptually start thinking about actually doing something here? I mean, you have to. I think. I think it starts to become part of the conversation for real at that point. Like whether or not you think it's his fault, like yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm with you there, Bob. I mean, I, I, I think that it, I think it becomes part of the conversation at that point. I, I'm not certain that they completely panic just yet. Again, I, I think that they look at. I think that the Phillies look at their own schedule, and, and they see where the relief is coming. And it's right. and, and to be honest with you, it's certainly not right after the Giants because you have the Angels and and the and the Brewers, but then it's right after that. Like that's when that's when they see that their their schedule starts to become something that they can manage. Um, you know, uh, you know, p- compile some wins. When you go Arizona, Miami, Washington, Texas. You know, a stretch of games. There was a three, six, eight, nine, ten, eleven, thirteen games against against bad. Well, the Marlins aren't bad, but 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 teams that are more manageable teams, you should get wins against. I think it. I think that's the that's. I think in all honesty, that's your that's your Waterloo. In all honesty, if you can't come away from come out of okay. that stretch of games and and having done well and and gotten yourself back into conversation, I think that's when it would happen. Yeah, it's no. a shame that we're here, middle of May, trending towards the end of May, and we're still having this conversation. We would have hoped that the Phillies would be over this at this point. And I think that you and I can look at this and understand that not everything that goes wrong is Joe Girardi's fault. It's not his fault that they, you know, got shut out twice this week. It's not, but at some point it, it reaches a juncture where you, you have to at least consider doing something. And, well, and, I mean, so, and, and, and I'm of the mindset checking we, in on. I said it last week, Bob, and I'll say it again, and I think yesterday is a great example when you see the kind of frustration that had set in for Reese Hoskins when he absolutely destroyed that trash can in, in, the, in, the, in the dugout. Like, to me, that's, that's the, the – you want to you break – you want to wake up the, the, the locker room, the clubhouse, you make a trade first. And you trade somebody who everybody likes, who's on that – who's considered part of the core of the team – and and you know won't hurt you to move on from him because you have the the flexibility to move other people around actually might really help the lineup in some way. We that, should start sponsoring this part of the podcast. I mean, we it's should, what it is. Trade Reese Hoskins is part of the podcast. You trade the trade. Re- this is this is the trade oh, Reese yeah. Hoskins portion of the podcast. Brought to you by Reedman Toll Honda. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, but no, seriously. I mean, I, like I would rather I would rather address the. I I I I don't like teams that feel like they get off the hook when a manager or a coach is fired and let go. And it's almost like, well, see, it was their fault, not ours. Right. right. Like, I, I'd rather you – and I don't know why teams don't do it more often, but you, go, you, should, you should make the change on your roster first. If that doesn't work, then okay, then go and go – you know, then I say, okay, great. We tried the roster thing. That didn't work. Maybe, it's the, maybe we need to change right. the, the voice. And then you go to change the manager and the coach. Um, but teams automatically, they look at it and go, well, we can't trade 25 players, so let's get rid of the coach. It's, it's just too quick of a – you know, it's, it's a narrow viewpoint in my mind, in, in sports in general. And I think it happens far too often. I think it happens in, you know, you know I look, in, in the NFL, I think it happens a lot. You know, they just get a coach lasts 
one or two years. Like, really? I mean, you put that team together and you ask him to win in one year and he doesn't, and all right, he's gone? Come on, that sucks. Um, so I, I, like, I think it happens too much. I, I, I'd like to see something, even if it's not Reese Hoskins, I'd like to see something from within the team first to try and wake them up. Fair enough. All right, well, that's something to monitor, and we'll – Certainly talk again uh, next, uh, well, not even next week. We'll, we'll do it again later this week, I, hopefully either uh, as yeah. they wrap up the Brave series. And I know you have one more thing, and I'll let you get no, there. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. Let me just say this. I take responsibility this week, Bob. Usually I'm blaming you. Okay. But I take responsibility this week for us not having a second episode last week. You just got to do a better job. That's yeah, it was my, my schedule was really, really nutso last Thursday and Friday. Um, so much so that I actually, I actually ghosted Russ on Friday. Like he was text, <laughs> he was texting me like, like a, like an ex-girlfriend. I mean, it was like nonstop, like how much he was texting. It wasn't just one long text. It was like a lot of like, like a lot of, a lot of like four, four text messages, like four words. Where are you? Why aren't you answering me? Hello, like those kinds of texts. I mean, it was well, like- I was uh, also very busy on Friday, and uh, I was kind of like in a spot where I said, if he texts me and asks to do the show, I'll make it work. Yeah, but I'm not going to be the initiator here, and he didn't, and yeah. it is what it is. So. Yeah, so I we'll be back with two though this yeah, week. This we will do two this week for sure. Uh, do you have a one more thing before we roll out of here? Yeah, you know, I, I do, and I debated on what the one last thing would be, and I, and I decided to stay away from. Um, the, the real controversial stuff that's going on because I think it's I don't like ending on on serious notes you know and, and this, the thing going on between um, like the Yankees and and the White Sox if we can you know if we could talk about it if you know at some point maybe um, whether you I'd believe like to steer clear of it uh, yeah. overall but I will tell you here's an immediate take it is a disgrace that Yankees fans booed Tim Anderson yeah yesterday. it is it is we already, we already talked about how classless they are. Remember when they were throwing stuff at the in, at the Indians at the Guardians uh, outfielders, right? I mean, that's, they're they're awful. They're, they're having a they're having a banner year up there. They're an awful awful brand of, of human in, in New York. But the thing I did want to talk about as a one last thing was kind of kind of related to you know we looked at free agency and we talked a lot about free agency um, on our own. I mean, obviously the, the show wasn't running in the off season, but. Uh, but there was a lot of big names in free agency this year. And if you look at it so far, I mean, you can't call anybody an overwhelming success or anybody an overwhelming failure. But all the big names that were out there in free agency, how many of them have really just been terrible or not good so far? I mean, we've had, we have one of them here in, the, in Schwarber's just not been up to snuff, right? But look around Major League Baseball. Marcus Simeon, Javi Baez... Correa, Seager, Trevor Story until this past weekend was terrible. Like, I mean, there have been so many big-name free agents that just have not been good. Could you imagine imagine getting Marcus Simeon this offseason off a year where he hits 45 home runs, has 39 doubles, this guy has played 39 games this season, has 169 plate appearance. He hasn't homered yet. Yeah. He hasn't homered yet of a 45-home run year. It's fascinating to me. It really it's is. Insane. You know, and even even Robbie Ray, I mean, he pitched well against the Phillies, but... but that's I mean, about it. That's <laughs> it. He had one good start. Like, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, Chris Bryant's been injured, but, I mean, he's not been, you know, what you're looking at so far. I mean, I'd, I'd say of the of the guys who are making, like, you know, Nine figures. 
uh, well, Scherzer before he got hurt was 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 great. Sure. I mean, he was pitching really well. Um, uh, yeah, and Freddie Freeman's Freddie Freeman, obviously. But uh, like, who else? Kevin Gosman, I guess. I mean, that's a, that's a win for the Blue Jays. Uh, he's had a, he's had a nice year so far. Um, and then probably your next best guy is Castellanos. Amongst, yeah. the, amongst the big money guys. I mean, seriously, all the big money players that signed this offseason. That- Corey Seager's been fine. Like, yeah. he's been fine. I think Corey Seager, if he's kind of just been a guy where you bring him in, you're like, all right, he hasn't been a disaster, but he hasn't been a, a – he hasn't changed or been a difference maker for the for the Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. I, they've, just not been, they've just not been good. So it's just yeah, like, right. Robbie Ray in four starts this month has given up at least four earned runs in every single start except for the uh, one against the Phillies. So yeah. Also, yeah, I, the only game this season in which he's recorded at least ten strikeouts. So that's crazy. Yeah, so, so yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. Like some of the some of the more lower tier guys have been the best, better. You know, when I say lower tier, I mean you know if I mention Carlos Rodon, I mean yeah, he made over getting over forty million, but he's a, certainly a second tier, right, amongst free agents. Uh, Marte, Starling Marte, was more of a second-tier kind of free agent. You know, those kind of guys, they've had a much better impact, you know, for for, for their teams. Um, it's, it's interesting, and you bringing up this conversation sort of draws back to a larger point. And we always look at the Phillies. It's, it's hyper-focused here, obviously. We talk about the inconsistencies and the frustrations. Go across baseball right now, and you look at every team and where they're kind of sitting in the standings, and there's really only a handful of teams in the sport right now that you would say have almost been immune to that. And I know that early in the year, the Yankees kind of went through this like little offensive funk, and then they quickly broke out of that. But really, other than the Yankees, maybe to a lesser degree, the Rays, who are 24-17, and 17, the Twins are nine games over five hundred. And the Astros have gotten off to a really hot start. The Angels have struggled a little bit lately, but still nine games over. Those are the only teams in the AL that have sort of been immune from the, I want to rip my hair out watching this team. And then certainly in the East, in the National League, the Mets are the only team that's been immune to that. And then the Brewers in the Central and really the Dodgers and Padres in the West. Everybody else has kind of been like, there's 10 teams that have been playing pretty good baseball so far this year. And the other 20 have just sort of been exactly what the Phillies are. Some ups, some downs. It's been pretty frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's unique. And maybe it is the whole mushy ball thing, Bob. Maybe. maybe. I mean, maybe a lot of these teams thought they were going to be a lot better because the and then the ball's just not flying and it's like, okay. And maybe you have to wait and see the second half of the season. Does Major League Baseball change that? Do they go back to the more lively ball? Does that does that make a difference? Who knows? But um, – but yeah, it's it's been so far. I mean, the one last thing has been these guys who got all this big money. They haven't really impressed. No, they have not. No, they have not. All right. Well, for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Crossed Up. Make sure that you follow us on YouTube. You can check us out on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to not only listen but to subscribe. And if you happen to be on Apple. It's been a while, but we're back, and you can leave us a five-star review. That would be much appreciated. So until next time, which will probably be on Thursday or Friday morning, I'm Bob Wankel for Anthony Sutton Filippo. We will talk to you soon.